So we are in full swing now in the school year. My kids are used to their new teachers, and the teachers are getting used to their new classes. Every year has unique um, things to get used to for the students and the teachers. I've done some substitute teaching in the high school, and I've done several double takes because the students that I was used to seeing over in eighth grade are now over in the high school. What happened? They are now freshmen in high school. And before I know it, my daughter is going to be in high school. I don't want to talk about that too much. And I would say the same thing for us here as we are making our way in a new sermon series, The Best Story Ever. We're starting to get settled in and getting used to things and getting used to the new routine. We talk about... We've covered Genesis in two sermons, and we covered Exodus in one, and today we're going to cover Leviticus in one. But from the beginning of Genesis to where we are now in Leviticus, we've covered about 3,000 years. That's a lot of time. Now, some folks could condense it down maybe a little more and say, well, maybe 2,000, 2,500, or some folks might say, well, no, more like four to 8,000. But it's whatever it is, it's a lot of time that we've already covered And as we look at this amount of time, 3,000 years is a long time. 3,000 years ago gets, from where we are now, gets us way back into Old Testament Israel. But during this amount of time, God has reached out to broken humanity that was expelled from the the garden. And he has uh, initiated a plan to rescue them. God was not happy with the situation there at the end of Genesis chapter 3, that low point for all of humanity when Adam and Eve could no longer walk face to face with God in the garden. But instead, between them and the presence of God in the garden of Eden, there was posted an angel. And no matter which way they looked, there was a sword between them and the angel saying, no, there is a barrier between you and God. And so God has progressively through the book of Genesis and Exodus, reached out to his people and he has made a covenant with them. And through those covenants, he is rescuing people. And the ultimate destination is the new creation, or we can say heaven, that is talked about in Genesis chapter 21. And so we are at a stop along that journey here in the book of Exodus. And last time we saw that Exodus carries forward God's covenant relationship with his people by moving from the family of Abraham to the nation of Israel by rescuing them from Egypt and establishing them and communing with them. Now, after God rescued the children of Israel from Egypt, he led them through the wilderness to a mountain called Sinai. And that's where we looked at last time, where God ratified a covenant with them as a nation. There's lots of things we can learn from that covenant with them as a nation. And we can apply to those to us personally today, but it was a unique covenant with the nation of Israel that expired at the time that Jesus came. So now, as we look at Leviticus, Israel is still at Mount Sinai. 
and they're going to be at Mount Sinai for about a year. And so what happens during that year period? And that is what is talked about in the book of Leviticus. What was it about? How does this covenant relationship with God and the nation of Israel, how does it grow? How does it develop? And what does that have to do with our relationship with God today? That is what Leviticus deals with. So the key point this time on your handout, I didn't put any blanks. The key point for the book of Leviticus is this. The Bible is the best story ever. And Leviticus goes deep into what it means for the nation of Israel to be in a covenant relationship with God. Let's pray. God, as we are gathered together this morning, and I know Leviticus is easy to overlook. It feels like a foreign land to us. I pray this morning that you would help us to love it and appreciate how practical and how important it is to our daily lives in Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one this morning, Leviticus goes deep by detailing tabernacle procedures. Your blank there is tabernacle. Leviticus goes deep by detailing tabernacle procedures. So Exodus 40, we looked, last week we talked about the, the difference between Exodus chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 1, the children of Israel felt abandoned. They say, like, where is our God? And they were in slavery. Exodus chapter 40, they have God's presence dwelling with them there in the tabernacle in their midst. Huge transition that happened in the book of Exodus. And now we are in Leviticus, turn to Leviticus chapter 1, and let's look at verse 1. It's good to start in verse number 1, isn't it? Leviticus 1, 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. And the point I want you to gather there is now Leviticus starts and God is among them. So Exodus started where God, they felt like God had abandoned them and they were in slavery. And now here in Leviticus chapter 1, God is among them. He's dwelling among them. He has made a special covenant with them. He has established them as a nation in a covenant between God and the nation of Israel. And so that is the starting point for the book of Leviticus. But then as you look at the rest of the book of Leviticus, it goes deep and gets down into the details of what it means to be in a covenant relationship with God, with worship, with dealing with sin, with dealing with all kinds of things. Now, there's a reason why Leviticus is probably something we either skim or skip over in our Bible reading. Because it truly does feel like a foreign country. It is a lot for us to grasp. And Leviticus is rightly called is the book of instructions for the Levites, but that doesn't feel very practical. So hopefully by the time we're done today, it's more than just an instruction manual for the Levites. You understand the themes and how that supports the best story ever and transforms your life today. 
So there is a lot to grasp, but as we talk about sacrifice and temple procedures, when you looked at the book of Genesis and Exodus, you're going to read about sacrifices that different folks made, but it's formalized here and established with a great amount of detail here in the book of Leviticus. And as you see in the first six chapters, if your Bible has those bold headings over top the paragraphs, um, you're going to see there's going to be five different offerings that it details. Laws for burnt offerings, laws for grain offerings, laws for peace offerings, laws for sin offerings, and it goes to laws for guilt offerings. And then you're on into chapter 6. But then you see it talks about the procedures for the priests and how the priests can do their job properly and they can be clean and pure in the presence of the Lord. And on and on it goes. I want to try to make this practical this morning. That's really important to me because Leviticus feels very impractical to us. So again, let's think about what happened in the Garden of Eden. There was banishment because of sin. And then there was a low point. And now, by the time we are here in Leviticus, we have a tabernacle where God is with His people. It's an external tabernacle. It's an external building, but He is dwelling among His people, Israel. We're still not back to where we were in Eden, where they were walking face-to-face with God in the Garden of Eden. But we've made some progress. Then, by the time you get on into... um, King David and and Solomon, you have a temple and you have an official permanent building, whereas the tabernacle was a temporary building. Then if you fast forward even more, you're going to go to the time when Jesus came to this earth and you see the gospel of John in chapter one. You see that the, the language that is used there is that Jesus tabernacled with us. He took on a tent of flesh and here we have God here with us on earth, taking on human flesh and the God man Jesus Christ. So there's a little bit of uh, moving forward here with the presence of God. And then after Jesus ascends into heaven, we have ourselves, those who are becoming the children of God. We are the temple of the Holy Holy Ghost. We are, so God has moved from that external building to living inside of us. So there is progress made along this journey of moving towards the new creation. And eventually we will be with God walking the streets and being with God in person in the new creation, enjoying fellowship with him forever. That's the journey we're on. So let's apply this concept of tabernacle today. Here we see in Leviticus, it goes into great detail about how they were supposed to interact and behave with that tabernacle, that tent in the desert. I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26. I told you last week there was a phrase that is used many times throughout the Bible, associated with God's desire to have a relationship with us and for us to be with Him. And it's used with different varying phrases, but it's used here again in Leviticus chapter 26. And we're going to start in verse 
9. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 9. God is talking about the blessings of those who obey Him in this matter of covenant. Leviticus 26, 9. He says, I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you. Pay attention to that phrase. I will make my dwelling among you. And my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you. That sounds kind of like the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? I will walk among you and will be your God. And you shall be my people. That that phrase is used many times throughout the Bible is that I will be your God, you will be my people, I will be a father to you, you will be a son to me, I you will be able to I will dwell with you, and we will be able to be together. That phrase is used all throughout the scripture. So I told you to pay attention to a certain phrase. Now let's turn to Second Corinthians chapter six. Second Corinthians chapter six, starting in verse fourteen. So we've moved from Leviticus with the external temple to now to the new covenant that we live in today. We're talking about the internal temple, but there's overlap and there's application made from Leviticus to today in the new covenant. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse fourteen. It says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, quote from Leviticus chapter 26, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So now, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, makes an application. Therefore, Go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now look at, this is one of the places where it's an unfortunate chapter break. Chapter breaks are not inspired. So now, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, the promises talking about God being with us, since we have these promises, beloved or loved ones, what are we going to do about that? Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. The ability for the... Old Testament children of Israel to enjoy that external presence of God in that tabernacle was hinged upon them being obedient and following those tabernacle procedures. 
a matter of cleansing, a matter of a holy life. This is not about salvation. We're going to talk about that in a little while. This is about enjoying the ongoing presence of God. And if we're talking about what happened in the Garden of Eden and what's going to happen someday ultimately in the new creation in heaven, this is what we want. We don't want to be separated from the presence of God. To be able to walk with Him in the garden and fellowship with Him was glorious. It was wonderful. There's no better friendship, my friends, than Him. And so we're on that journey of enjoying His presence, but we are still in sin. And even though if we become children of God and believe, ultimately our sin is taken away, there is the life in walking with God in dealing with our sins so we can enjoy fellowship with Him and enjoy His presence until one day when that sin is taken away in the new creation. And so the thrust here, and we're talking about tabernacling and this tabernacle procedures, the thrust here was for them and for us today to pursue pure lives so that we can fellowship with our God. So today, as we consider the fact that we are called, because we have these promises that we can enjoy God's presence, we are called to be obedient and to cleanse ourselves. I want to ask you, is there sin in your life? That you have just accepted and you're just you know, kind of given up on it? If there's sin in your life that you are not dealing with, could be what we call the sins of the spirit, could be the sins of the body. There's anger, there's bitterness, resentment, there's sins of the tongue, it could be gossip, backbiting. He sins of the body, sexual immorality. Are there sins that you're just accepting or not really being diligent in dealing with? This is not contingent upon your ability to be saved. But this is the only logical way to respond to your salvation and be able to enjoy the presence of God. So Leviticus goes deep into Israel's covenant relationship with God by detailing tabernacle procedures. Next, number two, Leviticus goes deep by emphasizing the goal of holiness. So the blank there is holiness. Leviticus goes deep by emphasizing the goal of holiness. I said in the past that the theme of Leviticus is holiness, and I'm revising that just a little bit. Holiness is a big part of the book of Leviticus, but there are other important themes. I don't want to overlook those. So I've zoomed out and I've made the key point or the theme of Leviticus that Leviticus goes deep into what it means for the nation of Israel to be in a covenant relationship with God. And a big part of that is the goal of holiness. Now, holiness, to define that word, holiness could be defined as special or sacred, set apart, or something that's just nothing like it. It's unique in its uh, beauty, in its characteristics. 
But when we bring up the word of holiness, it, it can be easy for us to think like a child who has to sit through church and how they feel. A child who has to sit through church, they have a different perspective than you and I. No, sometimes we might have the same perspective as that child, but usually a child who has to sit through church, it's like, why do I have to do this? You know, this is holiness. You know, I have to boring sit through a sermon. And I know sometimes you might feel that way too. But that is not a true understanding of holiness. To have a true understanding of holiness when it is applied to God, we have to understand that our view of God who he is, his characteristics, the way he behaves, the way he seems to us, that's directly connected to our view of his holiness. Holiness could seem flat and boring, or it could seem amazing and wonderful, depending on our understanding of who God is. There are passages of scripture that talk about God's beauty of holiness. Holiness is not a dry and dusty doctrine. If you understand who God is, it's a thrilling doctrine and it's magnificent. If you ever have appreciated God's goodness and God's greatness, there's no one great like our God. There's no one good like our God. He is the source of all goodness. If you've ever felt goodness in your life, that's because of God. It came from Him. And so that has ever thrilled you that is a part of God's holiness. Because there's nobody good like God. That's holiness to find. It's, he's unique. He is wonderful. And sometimes we can treat holiness like a museum. When you go into the museum and there are holy items behind glass or set away from the common public so that way you know people can't get all over it and touch it so it's not ruined it's it's set apart and in one sense it's sacred or it's holy it's it's a museum and whenever i've gone to the museum most people they might go wow but you don't the people aren't usually shouting up and, and jumping up and down and getting excited about those things maybe occasionally but most of us is more of a you know kind of reserved hmm, that's that's interesting you know you kind of just gaze upon it and look at it and we can think of God's holiness that way yeah he's unique he's you know that's different and I, well, that's special but for those who have truly gazed at who God is they go into that museum as it were and they are jumping up and down and that is thrilling and that is exciting it's magnificent. So back to Leviticus. The word holy in Leviticus shows up 92 times. Way more than any other book of the Bible. It's almost in every paragraph in the book of Leviticus. And I wanted to look at just a few of those references. Turn to Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11. I want to at least get you into Leviticus a little bit. Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 44. Leviticus 11:44, God is speaking and he says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore. That's the only reasonable response to those who are in a relationship with God. They consecrate themselves therefore. And be holy, for I am holy. You should not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall 
Therefore, be holy, for I am holy. There's several other references we could look at, but for the sake of time, I'm going to skip over them. Let's go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. I think we're fairly familiar. If you've been in church a while, you're going to be fairly familiar with 1 Peter. Chapter 1. Verse 13, 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, quote from Leviticus here, you shall be holy, for I am holy. As we get to enjoy in the new covenant our relationship with God, there is no change from the covenant with the nation of Israel to the new covenant today. Holiness is the goal as we enjoy God's presence. A lack of holiness will obstruct our fellowship with Him. So again, we have the external particulars in Leviticus that was preparing people of Israel to be a holy nation. And the same is here in the New Covenant. We are to prepare our lives and be a people that strives for holiness through Christ and in Christ so that we can enjoy God's presence. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to tie that together again. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 1, it, it cited those Old Testament promises and those promises. You're going to find that phrase that I make my dwelling among you and walk among you and I will be your God and you should be my people. By the way, that same phrase is in Revelation chapter 21. That promise has reached its fruition. It's, it's fully achieved. It's a promise that's throughout all of Scripture and it reaches its destination in the new creation. So those are the promises of God. And so our proper response is for 2 Corinthians 7.1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. And what's the goal here? The goal here is bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. <clears throat> let me ask you a question. Do you feel that God is at a distance from you? Another question. Are you enjoying God's presence? If you are not, one of the possible reasons is because you're not passionate about obeying God in this matter of cleansing yourself with the goal of holiness. 
for those who want to claim these promises of God's presence that are given at the end of 2 Corinthians 6. And they want to experience those. And they are awesome when you experience them. You will not experience those in your walk with God, in your Christian life, unless you're doing 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Leviticus goes deep into Israel's covenant relationship with God by detailing tabernacle procedures and emphasizing the goal of holiness. Next and final, number three. Leviticus goes deep by explaining how we can enjoy God's presence even though we are sinful. The blank there is sinful. Leviticus goes deep by explaining how we can enjoy God's presence even though we are sinful. I want to be very clear about something that can be confusing and understandably so. The Old Testament sacrificial system did not save them. This was not about them being saved. And the Old Testament does not have a clear gospel plan like the New Testament. And that's just due to progressive revelation. But we've talked about this in previous weeks. Romans chapter 4 quotes Genesis chapter 15 to make it clear that Abraham was saved just the way we are today. You want to make that clear. But the Old Testament sacrificial system that Leviticus goes deep into, it pictured the reality of the future Christ. So the reality that we keep on going back to today as his children is the reality they were looking forward to through the Old Testament sacrificial system. Now, in the matter of unbelievers, just like today, when unbelievers see this reality pictured in our worship and in our testimony, they see the reality of Christ, there are some that believe. And it was saying in the Old Testament, there would be some in the Old Testament as they're going through those external tabernacle procedures, and there is a moment of belief that happens because of the pictured Christ. But their primary function was not to save them. But that did happen. The Old Testament sacrificial system was for those who believe as a matter of fellowship with God in handling their sin. Because we as believers today, if we have sin in our lives that we have not made right with God, it obstructs that fellowship. Remember, we are moving from the low point at the expulsion of the Garden of Eden eventually to the new creation and our ability to have fellowship with God is getting more and more intimate and it's getting greater and greater and greater until we arrive in heaven in the new creation. The sacrificial system maintained that fellowship. But it also pictured that amazing saving sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ that happened on the Day of Atonement. So there are aspects of 
picturing Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on the cross that are evident in Leviticus. I want to try to bring this home because this, this is complex. And I am in danger of oversimplifying things. I realize that. Turn to First John. First John chapter one. We're going to look at verse five. First John one five. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is this is that language that we read about in Leviticus, except it's new covenant now and it's pointing back to Christ. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. However, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the original language there, the cleansing word is an ongoing cleansing that happens to us. And it never runs out. So as we look at the cleansing that we could have, even as Christians who have sinned, and we need to make it right, we can always go back to Lord Jesus Christ and experience cleansing and forgiveness. We look back to Jesus' blood sacrifice. And we enjoy that reality of forgiveness. This is an inward reality for us. We experience it through Christ and in Christ. Now, as we talk about what was happening in Leviticus, the same thing was happening, but they went through an external reality, looking forward to the future Christ, and it was pictured for them that way. So we enjoy all the Old Testament sacrificial system in Christ and through Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. We were just there this morning, just a little while ago, Matthew chapter 26. And verse 28, Matthew 26, 28. We're in the new covenant and Jesus at this Passover meal is instituting what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And he is saying that in verse 28, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So when we celebrate communion, we're celebrating that spiritual reality, that internal reality we have in Christ, through Christ, that they were celebrating in Leviticus in that external reality of the sacrificial system pointing to the future Christ. You say, well, I don't know. This is, I'm not sure I, I understand this. That, my friends, is what the book of Leviticus drives home. Some people, of not Leviticus, Hebrews. The book of Hebrews drives home. Some have called 
the New Testament, the New Covenant book of Hebrews is the New Testament Leviticus. Because Hebrews takes all of that external reality of the Old Testament sacrificial system and applies it to Christ and then shows us what we have in Christ. Because there were people, Hebrew people, who were struggling because the external was gone. And through Christ, it had been fulfilled, and now we have it in Christ. And Christ and what he has done for us fulfills all that, and they need to be applied to them spiritually and internally. And that's what the book of Hebrews does. It quotes Leviticus time and time again. My friends, you and I enjoy propitiation. We enjoy that the Lord Jesus Christ, he died, he shed his blood on the cross, and when God the Father saw that, he passed over us, and God poured out his wrath upon the Lord Jesus Christ so those that believe in him can have their sin removed and expiated and gone and taken away. We enjoy justification. We enjoy peace with God. They had a peace offering in Leviticus, but our offering of peace is through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have peace with God. And therefore, we, as Hebrews chapter 4 says, we can go openly or confidently or boldly into the eternal throne room of God through the Lord Jesus Christ and talk to God the Father directly. That is the Old Testament sacrificial system now internalized through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we enjoy the benefit. We enjoy fellowship with God. Have you ever had those moments in prayer where you felt like you had time with God. I know there's many times when we do our read our Bible and we pray our prayer and we don't feel like we hardly met with God and we're just struggling. But you need to have felt, if you are a child of God, those times when you opened your Bible and you opened your mouth to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer where you felt like you met with Him. And you had that reality only because of what Christ had done for you. And he is your mediator, not some Old Testament priest following an external procedure. All that is brought internal through Christ and in Christ. So my friends, have you had a time recently where you felt like you had communion with God? That is the point of Leviticus. And on our journey, as we are moving from the low point of being banished from the Garden of Eden and not being able to walk with God in person anymore to the new creation when someday we will walk with Him in person. The beauty of Leviticus is it shows us how we can enjoy God's presence even though we are sinful people. And for some of us, it's been a long time since we have enjoyed God's presence because we have not been diligent to cleanse ourselves from sin. So the fellowship has been broken. Good news, friends. First John, the book of Leviticus teaches us, Hebrews teaches us, that we can go to Christ as the ultimate sufficient sacrifice for us, and he will cleanse us, and that fellowship can be restored. Let's pull it together. The Bible is the best story ever. And Leviticus goes deep into what it means for the nation of Israel to be in a covenant relationship with God by detailing 
tabernacle procedures. Detailing is a blank there. Emphasizing the goal of holiness. And by explaining how we can enjoy God's presence, even though we are sinful. Again, Leviticus goes deep into what it means for the nation of Israel to be in a covenant relationship with God by detailing tabernacle procedures, emphasizing the goal of holiness, and by explaining how we can enjoy God's presence even though we are sinful. Let's take a few minutes and respond to the Lord. And I especially want to challenge you, if you have kind of rolled over and given up in the matter of dealing with sin in your life, by the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God, I pray that you would be rebuked this morning. And you would get to work in obedience. Claim those promises of God's presence and deal with your sin. God is faithful and just to cleanse you and forgive you.